As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their success or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Ken Wong, current founder and creative director at Mountains. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Ken. How are you? Hi, I'm really good. Thanks you, for having me. Thanks for having me. You've welcomed me into your home today to do this, which is a bit different for, for any past recording that I've had, but I really appreciate it. So yeah, thank no you for being worries. so gracious. Yeah, it's nice to do one of these face-to-face for once. Yeah, I, I think I've done, out of the 18 or so episodes that we've done so far, this is about the third I think I've done, face to, third or fourth I've done face-to-face. And it's, it's we were discussing this before, and it's, it's nice being able to talk to someone face-to-face and that communication, the way you communicate, is a little bit different to what... What I've had with every almost every other episode where it's online and there's that slight pause with, and you're waiting for connection, all the online sort of hiccups that go with that. So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from all around the world about their different experiences through the game industry and kind of talk about how they came to be where they are today. Now, we've got some titles that we're going to talk about that you've worked on, some fairly prominent titles, I would say. Um, but before we get to all that, we're going to go right back to the very beginning. Ken, what were your first gaming experiences like? What were, what were the first games you played... Right. Um, so when I was five, I think, my dad brought home our first family computer, which was a Commodore 128D. Yeah, okay. So that's like a variation on a Commodore 64. Yep. Um, and I think that the first two games that, uh, that I had to learn how to load up on you know, the disk system were called Boulder Dash and Wavy, of it. Yeah, and Wavy Navy. Not familiar with that one though. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, those were those, and I, around the same time, um, I would have gone to like friends' houses and played Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Okay. So like, it would have been one of those that would have been my first um, video game experience, I think. And so, how like what other games were fairly prominent through those early years? Oh yeah, I mean, just the you know the early NES games like. Um, yeah, very much Super Mario Brothers. That was that was a big obsession. Um, uh, you know, when I when I got my first um, NES, it came with like Mario, Metroid, Mega Man, um, but I, and like a couple of other games. But I I mostly was just obsessed with Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. I, and I think it's because of the feel of that game, and it just like even now, like I look I. I look at videos of that game and I'm, I can't believe how smooth the movement is. Yeah. It, it was just like such a leap ahead of, of everything else. Really a trendsetter in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were there any particular games along the way that really maybe inspired you to pursue games development yourself or was it the sort of thing that didn't really come along till a bit later? Oh no. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always been a creative person. Like I've always done drawing. Yeah. And um, really I think where, my passion for video games and creativity sort of intersected would have been around super, um, Street Fighter 2. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, like, Street Fighter 2 just super hit me. It was, like, these these bold, larger-than-life character <laughs> designs that were, like, all about martial arts, but yeah. sort of also, like, special effects. And, and um, yeah, I, like for a while I was sort of driven by just doing fan art of street fighter. Like I like to tell people I learned anatomy so that yeah. I could draw street fighters better. 
um, and I used to I used to run a Street Fighter website when I was in high oh, school. Okay. Yeah, so like that prompted me to like collect could lots I, of I... art and like learn HTML and run a GeoCity site and learn JavaScript so that I could hack four GeoCity sites together. Oh yeah, because there was only two megabytes of storage each. Yeah. Um, so you had to improvise a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I think you know, as an artist, my my big obsession was actually just collecting all the artwork that I could find from all the different Street Fighters, and and it was really interesting, like looking at how the style changed from Street Fighter Two to Street Fighter Alpha to Street Fighter Three, and that probably influenced, you know, my path to becoming an art director. Yeah, I was going to say. So yeah, you obviously credited in a few different titles being uh, the art director along mm-hmm. the way. So were there other games along the way in terms of that art side of things that really yeah. inspired or? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, t- like until today, I-, I still think back to Secret of Mana, which is like Good one choice. of the, yeah, one of the first uh, Super Nintendo games I had. And it came with um, a fold-out poster of yeah. like the hero art, and I can't remember the artist's name now, but that image just like blew me away. That, is that the one where? Because Secret of Matter is one of my favorite games as mm. well. Um, where like the characters themselves, it, they're really they're really a small part of yeah. the whole picture, and then it's yeah. just that lush green yeah, environment it's just the, around you. Yeah. The mana tree, and it's just covered in plants, and it's just and it's the title screen of yeah. the game as well. Um, that had a big influence on me. Um, another one is Star Fox, which we call Star Wing here in Australia. Um, that I thought was really ugly at first with its like low poly aesthetic, which of course is really yeah. trendy now. But um, that, you know, like once I got it, that really opened my mind to like what video games could be. Um, Yoshi's Island. Of course. Um, yeah. Like that was, I think, the first time that I saw like a really hand drawn game or something that sort of went against the grain of what pixel art is yeah. and and just had a really fun aesthetic. Yeah, really tried to redefine <clears throat> things a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they still do with some of their art styles. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It's been interesting seeing how Nintendo treats its Yoshi games like it's sort of its experimental yeah. art series. Same with kind of the Kobe games. Um, yeah. Uh, and then later, Sword and Sorcery. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, by, by Cappy Games. Um, that really... That really, you know, blew my socks off in terms of like what, what can be achieved in terms of video game aesthetics. Like I think a lot of games up until that point had been still kind of video gamey. Like they'd taken inspiration from other sources, but it ended up looking like a game. And when Sword and Sorcery came out, it was like, it's like they hadn't seen video games before. It was like they just come from, and this is quite close to the true they come from a graphic design or from an animation background and they're just hey let's make a video game um so that was the work of um of super brothers um uh and um yeah and i think until today i'm i'm still inspired by by that that take on what a video game can look like yeah it's that's a really interesting perspective was was the gaming landscape, the gaming scene, something that you were always interested in chasing? Were there other things kind of catching your interest as you were growing up? Um, or do you always feel like you were on a one-way course towards something involving games? No, I mean, I mean, growing up in Adelaide, uh, Australia, uh, it, I mean, and this is, you know, I went to, I graduated high school in 1999. Yep. Um, and... There just, you know, there wasn't really this concept of games as a job. 
like in Adelaide, I believe like the only studio I knew of was, was Ratbag, yep. which got acquired and then shut down. Um, and then I didn't really know much about, you know, there, there was a handful of, um, of other, you know, relatively well-known Australian studios at that time, but it, it wasn't a, a career that I was seriously yep. considering. So I went to uni to study multimedia, which seemed like the sensible thing to do, yep. right? Like, it's still creative, still uses computers. Um, so I thought that I would be making websites for a living or something. Uh, I don't think I really had a plan. But then uh, while I was studying at university, uh, a games career kind of found me. And then I've just been following it ever since. Which becomes the perfect time for us to start talking about how things actually did begin and where did they begin? Yeah, so in the year 2000, a game called American McGee's Alice came out. Yep. And um, I was super into this game even before it came out as I was just reading the news of it. Um, for those who aren't familiar, um, American McGee's Alice is like a dark, gothic take on Alice in Wonderland. Um, Alice has kind of grown up and she's been spending time, um, she's been in an asylum ever since she got back from Wonderland. And now Wonderland has called her back. Um, uh, and... I was into this because of the art direction. Yep. Like it was just so... It's got a great style. Yeah, it was so so beautiful and inspired by like Victorian art and comic books and just had this great gothic style to it. Um, and it had like... It was sort of driven by character and story in a way that yep. I'd never seen. Um, where, um, you know, narrative was such a strong part of it and the atmosphere and the characters and, and, a, and a female character that wasn't a sex symbol. Um, and no, she was just kind of badass. And that was yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just, she carried a knife around, you know, yeah. and just threw her, threw her knife at, at other characters. And I, I loved that. Um, and so... I'm glad you look at that game the same way I did. Yeah, oh, yeah. Just, that's just awesome. It doesn't matter. Like, we don't need all this other stuff. Let's just yeah. focus on the, the cool concept here. yeah. So that game really spoke to me, and so I did some fan art of the game. And the designer of the game, whose name is American McGee, saw my work online and reached out and asked if I would like to try doing some work on his next project. Um, and I freaked out. Like, I was like, wow, the, you know, this email just coming out of nowhere, and I've never done, you know, work on a video game before. Yep. I didn't know how to do that, but I... He was me just studying multimedia. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah. But I, I leapt at the chance. And, um, you know, I look back, I've looked back at the, you know, those first few submissions of work and it's it's rough, but I feel like I can see my own potential there. Like yeah. I can I can see that. I think I can see that American saw something in, in that early work, which meant that, you know, even though I wasn't necessarily hitting it out of the park, um, he continued to give me chances and we ended up working together for, for on and off for several years. And he helped me get my first full-time job, which was as an art director at a company called Enlight, Enlight yeah. which was based in Hong Kong. So yeah, um, after graduating, I moved to Hong Kong. Um, which was not part of the plan. You know, I, I, I didn't, Who, who'd foresee that? No, no, I, I, my dad had always urged me to travel and I just had no interest in it. And then, you know, um, you traveling this, for work all of a sudden. Yeah. And I turns out I really loved Hong Kong and, um, it was a, it was a challenging first gig and, um, uh, and the, the game we worked on was called bad day LA, 
um, which which uh, let's say didn't wasn't reviewed super well. Yes, I I was as I was picking through everything beforehand. I was looking at some of the credits and bits and pieces, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Bad Day LA was. Yeah. I think I saw in like that. Not that scores or everything, but that fours sort of ballpark. I think it, across it the has a twenty eight on Metacritic. Okay, that's yeah. But um, but you know what? I I really value the the first yeah. few experiences I had uh, because they they taught me about um, failure and success and the value of hard work and and the value that um, the the reward for this work is coming into work and getting to work on a game and yep. doing your best work and learning along the way and learning how to work with others. That's the reward, not you know not the reviews of the game oh, at yeah. the end yeah if you depend on that then you know maybe motivations aren't quite yeah, yeah. well i think you're, you're bound to be disappointed because yeah. you know some of the time some of your projects are bound to just not people won't get it or another game comes out on the same day yeah. or, or whatever and there's stories of that sort of thing happening so. yeah so i i learned to focus on the experience itself and i think that was very valuable and that, I mean, you obviously stuck with some American McGee stuff for a while, though, beyond that. So there was a few other titles you were uh, working on through yeah. uh, Spicy Horse. Games. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we worked together um, for, for many years. Um, after, after Hong Kong, um, Americans saw that uh, China was really coming up in the world again, and which, you know, is very well acknowledged now. Yep. But um, at the time in 2006, it was like... It's a pretty pretty bold idea to go to China and yeah. start a games company. Um, so yeah, we we went off there and um, that was he, based in Shanghai. Is that correct? Yeah, yep. that's right. So going from sort of you know British colony China to real China, and um, and I was the first employee of Spicy Horse, um, still as art director. And the first project we worked on was called American McGee's uh, American McGee Presents Grim. Yeah, as you know, it's called American McGee's Grim. Sorry, and uh, yeah, which was sort of um, a, a little bit similar to the Alice idea. It, but it was lots of fairy tales. It was um, let's through this dirty little dwarf called Grim. Let's take the sanitized, clean, modern versions of these fairy tales and, and break restore them, all them <laughs> uh, restore them to their original, like kind of screwed up. origins um so that was the idea and um yeah i i i learned a lot again on this project like i don't think my work on them was was particularly great like as an art director there's a lot of things that i still didn't understand and i I didn't get and and people were trying to help me learn and i was being a bit very stubborn and not understanding it but it was you know we we built that with unreal um so i you know we learned unreal the unreal engine along the way and uh, we we grew the team from one to about I think about twenty people at, by the end of Grim. Yeah, um, that took about two years or so. And then the next game after that was the sequel to Alice. Yeah, Madness Returns. That's right. Yeah. yeah so um, that was obviously like a dream come true to get to to work on the follow up to this game that I really admired um it was a huge challenge to so as art director i was sort of in charge of the whole art team and it was really interesting uh helping a whole bunch of chinese concept artists and 3d artists and animators to understand the gothic 
and surreal aesthetic of the yeah. game because that's not really an aesthetic that they it's a foreign thing to yeah them. they like i mean i'm sure there are examples of that in in chinese history and chinese culture but it's definitely not part of their mainstream like yeah. they didn't they they didn't super grow up with tim burton movies or or the victorian era yeah. and like cabinets of curiosities and all that kind of stuff like i i think the chinese as just as a culture tend to value cleanliness yes. and and order um things being in their right place um i think just something i've i've spent oh it's a, look it was, a, it was a holiday i was there for about two or three weeks but it was something i picked up on very quickly oh, okay, when I was, cool. I was in shanghai there so yeah um whereas i feel like if you look at chinese heroes they tend to be really beautiful you know they've got gleaming armor they're all about you know really precise martial arts moves uh tranquility that kind of thing um and whereas uh in the west i feel like we do like to indulge in messiness in decay in yeah. in um yeah just i think we we like to hold up a mirror to our own past and go like oh that was kind of messed up <laughs> that's it's really messed up that we used to do that thing and yeah and of course i can say that a, a lot of alice was was based around that um uh, so that was that was a really amazing project to work with, and I had an amazing team um, uh, of of concept artists and and other artists, and um, yeah, I'm really proud of the work that we did on on that. And so you were talking before, and I think the idea will presumably still continue through more of the stuff that we talk about shortly. But you were talking about how even in some of your early works, and even though you're not, you don't think they're necessarily your best stuff, you can see. Would it be fair to say there's a bit of a through line still in a lot of the the art. The approach to art design that you're bringing to your titles? Yeah, yeah I guess you could say that. Um, Obviously, you know, many of them, they look quite different. They yeah. Really, but you could, do you feel like you can see a through line? Um, I mean, I, I suppose... Or? I, I suppose you could say that the through line was looking at style and looking at art direction and how that yeah. can be used to tell a story. Um, so with, with all the projects that I've been... that I've worked on, I've looked for... Um, how can I use style? Like whether it's the use of line work or the use of color or the use of composition. Yeah. Um, and they all look very different because they're all trying to evoke a different, a different kind of mode, uh, telling a different story. Um, yeah, I think that might be the through line. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it was an interesting perspective and obviously mm. given some of the titles that come later on, yeah. um, I could see how things can change. And you know, I mean, Especially in art, there's there's so much scope there. So mm. I can completely understand that. Yeah, I mean, there was this um, like thread going around on Twitter this one time about like, um, like where you post a question saying like, "Tell me what my art style is," or describe my yeah, art okay. style. And um, I think like one of my friends said it was sort of like trying to find the beauty in the ordinary. Yep. Which um, I I can see that. Where um, and how I, long ago was this now? Why not? Just because it, it might prove to be a oh, point we'll come back to. Uh, I mean, this was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, okay. I think. But um, I thought that was interesting. I, I think it, it is kind of apt that it's like I the work that I do tends to not really be high fantasy or hard sci-fi. It tends yeah. to be let's take something that where that people are familiar with whether it's fairy tales or, you know, MC Escher or comic books. And, and let's try and find, let's try and, and shed a new light on that. Let's try and, and do a little twist on it or, 
or tell or maybe juxtapose it with something that it hasn't been combined with before and present pre- present it as a new combination so then there's hacky cat along the way there so it was yeah. a game you're working on your own there between uh what years are we talking about there about 2012 13 yeah that'd be about right. right yeah well you've done your research um yeah so after linkedin's kind of handy yeah <laughs> after five years in china um i decided to that i wanted to to move on from china and also by that time uh the unity engine had come out yeah and which is um you know a tool for making games and it's it was simple enough that one person can make a game by themselves and i was like wow that's might, might as well give that a go yeah yeah because I'd, I'd always thought i'd always been interested in game design not just not just art direction but but coming up with the idea yeah. and i i could program a little bit so i decided to uh yeah, take a break from the team environment and try to make a game mostly by myself and uh, bring my coding skills up to scratch and, and animation skills and, and business skills. And I thought, what's the smallest game that I can possibly make? <laughs> um, and I'm like, I remember actually when I was um, doing tutorials at university, we did like, I think a Flash or, or a Dreamweaver tutorial yeah. about just keeping a ball up in the air right you just yeah, have to okay. click click the ball and keep it up in the air and i'm like okay that's that's Actually, about as simple as you can get now, now that i think about it with some of my it work that i did at school that sounds kind of familiar to me yeah. as well and, okay yeah okay yeah, so yeah. at and least then, everyone was adhering to the curriculum at the time yeah <laughs> and you know you know what everyone likes cats yes so absolutely. i'm like all right what if what if it's like uh hacky sack but with cats so that's what Hacky Cat is. Um, I, I guess also ar- around this time, um, this was around the time of the iPhone 4. Yep. And the iPad 1, I think. And yeah, so, that sounds about right. Yeah, so mobile gaming was was um, sort of becoming a thing. Um, the Angry Birds had come out, and I was interested in new control schemes, like what, what new control schemes could bring and present as a game player. So Hacky Cat is a game that's that's all based around touch. You touch yep. the screen uh, where you want to to hit the cat up, um, which was um, yeah, that made for like a, a, an interesting, unique little little thing. And it, again, it was a great learning experience, like learning all this things that i had to learn in order to release a game. And it was that first step into that mobile scene. And yeah, what what did you kind of learn? about the mobile scene as a result of that obviously interface is a massive difference yeah um but how um, did, did you have any preconceived ideas that were then broken down and shaken up a bit as a result of getting uh, into it and working on it yourself yeah or because it was so new mm. one of those things you don't really have the time or opportunity yet to have formulated any sort of preconceived idea yeah um i think um i i didn't really want to do uh, a free-to-play game i i liked the idea of um, charging money for it and um, but uh, gosh how much did we sell I think we sold it for two dollars um, because apparently when you make if you just make your game 99 cents it sounds so cheap that people won't buy it yeah right? so yeah I, can, I, mean, I, can, I can understand that yeah so that's that's one of the things I learned um, I partnered with um, Surprise Attack yep who are now fellow traveler um, and they helped with the PR Um and obviously, like I didn't need to do that, but I thought, and this is where, like, having been in the, you know, been in the games industry yep. for ten years already by this point, gave me the insight that um, 
yeah, I'm giving up some of my revenue share, but I'm offloading a whole bunch of tasks that yeah. I'm not very good at. Surely to people who are experts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, I think this is part of the knowledge that, um, you know, right now there are a lot of indies coming up who who form a company straight out of university or, or even before that. And they don't, they don't have some of these like maybe business insights or, yeah. or just how, what the true cost of resources are. Um, and, and they have to sort of learn it the hard way, you know, on the job, making mistakes. Yeah. That's absolutely something I've learned along the way from the, mm. the various different indie developers I've spoken to through these episodes. And I'm, yeah. it's, it's a story that I'm starting to hear more often than not, not every single time, but more often than not, it's a, we underestimated this. <laughs> we, we didn't realize that this was involved. And I'm hearing those same few keywords yeah. about the same sorts of parts of the whole game development process. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I learned about microtransactions and uh, uh, had a lot of interesting conversations about that. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not opposed to microtransactions. I think that they're actually, uh, they can be done really well. Yeah. Um, but oh, it's smart implementation. Yeah, yeah. But um, oh, it was interesting, like trying to figure out like how many cheeseburgers equals how many dollars in real life. Cheeseburgers are the currency yep. in Hacky Cat. And uh, yeah, you know. Uh, but, you know, I went back and forth with Surprise Attack on that. And, and you know, in the, at the end, they, they said, it's your game. You make the decision. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just like, I guess, learning about how the App Store works. Um, I think, again, some indie developers come at the platforms expecting them to be fair. Yep. And they're not fair, you know, like Steam's not fair. The Apple Apple App Store is not fair. Google Play is not fair. It, they're run by companies and there are contacts at those. Co- there are people at those yeah. companies who try to find what game is going to make their storefront look great yeah. and what's going to highlight their devices, you know, or their system. Um, and so there is stuff to learn about how how that storefront works and how that curation system works and who you can talk to and who you can ask for advice um so yeah all of that became useful um on my next project which is monument valley yes yeah just a small title well it was Not, a small it was well sorry it was a small yeah, maybe in premise at the time but it it's, was yeah if we look back on it now i guess that's the hindsight thing there but yeah um just just a fairly fairly big deal in the end yeah um and so how did that come to be? Because we were talking before, art director and a lot of other projects at that point, but actually the lead designer in this case. Yeah. Um, so as Hacker Cat was wrapping up, I was already thinking about what my next adventure was going to be. And I'd, by this time, I'd lived in some big Asian cities and I wanted to try living in a big Western city. Uh, and as an Australian, like I, can, I have the right to go do a working holiday yep. in the UK as a lot of Australians do. Yeah. So I took advantage of that and um, um, I found a job opening at a studio called Us2. And at the time, Us2 were known for a game called Whale Trail. Yep. And a lot like Hacky Cat, I felt like Whale Trail was a game with personality. Like it had a really cool, it had, they had a music video. It had like a uh, this great art style to it. Um, it's a great feel. And I was like, I would love to work with this Be a team. Part of that. Yeah. And the other thing that was really interesting to me was that us two is not a games company. Us two is a 
digital design yeah, it's agency. just one small part of the, yeah, the bigger picture yeah that's right yeah at the time that i joined i think they had about 180 employees uh of which eight of them worked on the small games team and the the great thing about that is the culture at us two is not your traditional game dev culture it is more of a design studio environment and that was really inspiring to me right like the people around me were into ux and you know just good good design furniture design yep. architecture um their studio it's felt, broader than just yeah 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 and uh, i think at this stage in my career that was really refreshing and really inspiring so um uh and i was i was given sort of the opportunity to pitch um some projects when i arrived i was hired as an artist yeah uh which i was I was quite happy with that. I was like, oh, I'll be an artist, you know, like I'll, I'll just focus on aesthetics for a bit. Get the foot in the door and all yeah. those sorts of things, yeah. But then um, I was given the opportunity to pitch and I pitched in the form of art because that's, that's sort of my language. So I would do these mock-up illustrations of like, what if, it, what if this was a game? And it would just be basically a, a mock-up screenshot. And people would say, what's you know they, they'd go by the pinup yeah. boards and go like what's that and i'd be like well what do you think it is you know what do you think the gameplay could be and one of those illustrations uh, was what was the first bit of concept art for monument valley um and it was just a tower floating in space but it really drew people's attention and so we decided to turn that into a prototype and um yeah that got the ball rolling and um 10 months later we had monument valley yeah, like at last before, just this, just this small title. Um, how does I mean, given the the success of that game, um, how does that sit with you? How do you how do you process all that? Because it's mm. a lot of attention to a what's you know at the time we spoke about how mobile games are still quite they're getting there, but they're still mm. quite small at this particular point. Certainly not what they are now. Mm. Um, how do, how do you process all that with the success that comes with the yeah. game? Yeah, well, like I said, um, the the foundation of my career, like the 10 years that I'd spent leading up to this point had, had sort of prepared me for yep. that, you know, like, um, American McGee, who I, who I see as a mentor, um, had, uh, he's 10 years older than me. So I can, I can see like the arc of my career following yeah, his okay. in a lot of ways, you know, and seeing how he deals with, with press and with business partners and with, um, with, yeah, what do you do? What do you do with success? It has has always been really um, inspiring and and um, and has informed um, how I see these things. Um, but and then the whole team at us two, um, I think all of them were at similar points in their yeah. career to me. You know, some of them had maybe been around a, a, a fewer years, but we had all worked on games that maybe had disappointed in some ways, um, despite everybody's best yeah. efforts. So, so everybody, um, has been on the roller coaster at various yeah, different points. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like Dan Gray worked at Hello Games on the, on Joe Danger and, and Peter Pashley, the tech director, um, he worked on, uh, what's the studio that makes, um, Elite Dangerous. Oh yeah. I know the game. I know yeah, the yeah. game. Uh, don't know the Frontier? name. Though. I'll take you away for it. I yeah, don't, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he'd worked on a, on a game there for many years. I ended up getting cancelled, but um, but yeah, like between all of us, I think we were ready for for everything to fall into place for yep. once, you know. And um, 
you know... You were just on the verge of that upswing. Yeah, yeah. And so everything just came together. Like, Monument Valley was made in 10 months, which is, like, so short. Like, it's it's amazing um, looking back on that. But, we, you know, we did that because we didn't know it was going to be a success. We were like... You made a game that you believed in and you'd hoped it'd yeah, be successful, but, but... But let's make sure that we ship, Yeah, you know? Like, I mean, I remember at the time at the studio, it was like, just ship it. That's like... When you're working for clients and you're and and you're you're doing, working on many projects and you're at that studio size, it's like you have to be decisive. You have to like, uh, and so we were very aggressive about cutting. We were very aggressive about feedback and user testing, um, and so um, um, yeah, it was it was just like a really ideal process. And we had, I think, we had the tough conversations that we needed to have at the right time. And we put it out in the world and, um, yeah, it was, um, it was really well received. Um, and I think, I think we're really proud because on a lot of design decisions, we, we took the path that we believed in, but maybe went against the grain about like what was conventional for games and especially what was conventional for mobile games. You know, like this was like right after... 2048 and Flappy Bird, um, and of course Candy Crush was still really popular. So, mobile games There's were seen as this, yeah. yeah, as mobile games were seen as um, instant gratification, kind of disposable, like colorful games get, that you don't care about. They're just to relieve boredom, and um, really inspired by Sword and Sorcery yeah. and um, some other games like Windowsill and The Room we saw the opportunity for like, you know, there, there's an audience out there that we think wants good quality experiences and, and maybe we can design experiences that can't exist on any other platform. Um, and so let's make something that's custom made for touchscreens, custom made for Apple devices. Um, and Apple devices are really well designed yeah. and they're clean and they're sleek and they are inspired by, you know, the history of design. Um, and so we just kind of took the same approach with our game. So Monument Valley for me personally, I was up, leading up to this point before I'd actually had a chance to play the game, I we were talking about you know the way people perceived mobile games at that particular point. And whilst your Candy Crushes and those sort of things, they weren't the sort of titles that interested me mm-hmm. personally. Uh, the only sorts of games that I would play on a mobile device were things that I'd see as either supplementary or complementary to your traditional core console PC game. So mm-hmm. using some parallel, more modern parallels, say a Fire Emblem Warrior, uh, Heroes and how that links into the main game or right. Pokemon Go or the, you know, those sorts yep. of parallels. That's how I perceived mobile games at that particular point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had this very kind of fixed mindset about what they could and couldn't be. And it was actually Monument Valley when that release that I sat back and it actually made me, it forced me to kind of process things a little bit differently and look at these things in their own their own um, environment and mm-hmm. how they can thrive in totally different ways. And they don't need to be a market employed as, uh, to boost the sales of the next core release on a console or whatever it happens to be. So mm. I actually really credit you and the team for, for really breaking down a pretty silly sort of mindset that I had <laughs> in my head at that particular point. Uh, it's not the only thing I'm going to be thanking you for, but we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Um, did you have anything to do with some of the other titles that developed it um, at us two at the time? So there was, we're talking like Land's End and those sorts of games. Did yeah. you have anything to do with at all and timeline-wise with Monument Valley 2? Yeah. So um, I... 
I, I, I did work on Land's End, which was the VR title that we yep. worked on. Um, that was the Gear VR, right? Gear VR, yeah. yeah. So it was interesting. It was like one foot in VR and then also one foot in mobile. Um, so, it, you know, for those who aren't familiar, a Gear VR is an Android phone that you insert into a... Um, into a, a VR headset. And it was, I think it was the first platform that did that apart from like Google Cardboard, but it was a step up in quality. Um, and that was a, an interesting project to work on. Um, uh, I'm credited as, as a co-designer on that along with Peter Pashley. Um, but it was, it was a really, really difficult project in a lot of ways because best practices had not been established for, for VR. VR. Yeah. yeah. And I, in some ways I, I, I still think they, they, they're still trying to figure these things out, but how do you not make people motion sick? Um, how do yeah, you, and the immersion thing and all. Yeah. That. How do you control? How do you navigate things? Um, um, it's, it's, a, it's really exciting in that regard. Like it's a big step away from traditional video games. And I think that's why you, there's a lot of really interesting VR experiences yep. out there. But on the other hand, it is, it's like, it's, it's hard to get people to experience it because they have to invest in the hardware and they have to isolate them themselves away from the world. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was interesting doing a Monument Valley-esque kind of experience, but, but again, custom design for VR. Um, I, I ended up leaving us to, uh, right before, uh, Monument Valley 2. Um, I, I was sort of like pitched a version of that. And then, um, I, when I, when it, when I realized that my, my idea of it was, uh, just not practical, wasn't yep. going to work out. I, I thought, you know, I think what's best for the team, like what's best for Monument Valley is for someone else to do their take on yep. it. Like I sort of used up all of my good ideas on the original game and the, the new level expansion, which is about as much content as, as the original game. Yep. Um, and so someone, some other people, you know, um, coming at it with, with fresh perspectives and fresh ideas would be best for that game. And I think for me, I wanted to, to spread my wings and, and try and do some other stuff like start my own studio. Before we jump to that though, would you, is, are you prepared to indulge a little bit and tell us a little bit about what those ideas were? Cause we obviously know what Monument Valley 2 is. Mm. Um, what were some of your ideas for the project that oh. ultimately didn't? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I just had the idea of like, can we make a level creator? Yeah, okay. Um, and I think Mario Maker had come out at the time, and uh, Dreams was yep. in development, and, and I obviously we've seen your little big planets and those sort yeah, of things over the years as well. Yeah, and so I thought that was really interesting. You know, like we we received a lot of um, artwork from that that parents sent in of their kids that they'd drawn they'd played monument valley and then started drawing their own levels oh, yeah, okay. in crayon or they'd st- or they'd made it out of duplo blocks um and i thought wow that'd be so cool if we could give people the tool set that we have because actually making monument valley levels was so much fun yeah um um i love so looking forward to empowering the players to be able to do the same yeah yeah and you know what the, the realization that i that I came to was that it is really cool to have um, a magical set of blocks that you can make a level with. Um, but if we were to make that game, I don't think I don't think it would be good to also try and put visual illusions in that. Yeah, okay. Right, which is which is what Monument Valley is known for, um, and a lot of the time they're so very specific. Like we have to do a lot of 
custom code around that. Yep. And the idea was actually that it's a trick that we do once in the game and then it's gone. It, we don't repeat the, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the sort of the key tenets of Monument Valley was that we do a trick and then we don't repeat. We don't, we don't make hundreds of levels that, you know, reuse and remix. Because the otherwise it becomes a gimmick at that point. Well, that it's kind of, no, it's, it's, the it's novelty wears off. That sort of it's, thing. I think that's the path that a lot of games do because they feel like games are supposed to be eight hours long yep. or 20 hours long or 50 oh, yeah, hours okay, long, right. right? You're shooting for length rather than... Yeah, yeah. Like most games just repeat. That's yep. the nature of, of, of what they do. That's and where the phrase gameplay loop tends to right, you know, kind right. of fits in. You know, and... Um, which is a you know, there's plenty of merit in that, of course. But yeah, yeah. If that's not what you're shooting for, then yeah, I I just think that uh, you know what we think of as short form games, I think is actually maybe a really, and I think this has come true. Like it's been a really big part of what indie games have been good at in the past couple of years. You look at games like Firewatch, um, games like Gone Home, uh, you know, which last one or two or three hours, yep. but it's actually a really good way of telling a story. Um, or just or just having an aesthetic experience. Um, so it is actually so like yeah. to that point. I mean, yeah, you've mentioned a few great examples of how that works. Because on the flip side, we think about some of these massive, several dozen hour long games, and they're, they're trying to tell a story within that. And some mm. of them have really great stories, but it gets lost in amongst everything else <laughs> that you're going to do. Whether it's because they're putting a million and one side quests out there for yeah. you, or or there's just, there's just too much filler. Yeah, as good as that filler might be, the story gets lost in there. Yeah, I, the, I think the key ideas. I think it's just a different art form, yeah. really. Yeah, it's not really my kind of game, but I I think that people who play those types of games, um, they there's a reason why they're designed that way, and I think that really fulfills a certain audience. Um, so anyway, I I realized that you know, as putting my designer hat on, if you were to make a really great three D level designer. You, it would be an extra thing on top of that to put on Visual Illusions. Therefore, that game probably shouldn't be a Monument Valley game, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, I'm very much like, um, in a way, like I have a very purist uh, sort of uh, design aesthetic. Like yeah. I'm like, what is the essence of this thing that we're making? Um, and and so yeah, when it didn't, when it stopped adding up in my mind, I was like, you know what, I, that wouldn't work out, and I don't. I'm, I wasn't really interested in making um, um, that direction Monument wasn't Valley. For you. Yeah, yeah, and like I think Monument Valley Two turned out wonderful. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I think the team did an amazing job at that, and and um, like I like to, I had a bit of a George Lucas moment. Yeah, where, okay. uh, George Lucas always dreamed of watching a Star Wars as an audience member yeah. for the first time, which he finally got to do with the Force Awakens. Yeah. right. Um, and, uh, I got to play monument level, monument Valley levels for the first time playing monument Valley two, yeah, yeah. As, uh, without knowing what was going to happen. And it was really delightful. So, um, I'm, yeah, I think it all really worked out really well. No, I'm glad to hear that. Now you did speak about how you were then at that point moving on to forming your own studio mountains and again, just another small game that came out of that in, yeah. in Florence. Um, how did the idea come about? How did everything kind of begin, you know, in terms of the formation of the studio yeah. and, um, and all that? Yeah. So um, uh, I think it's clear now I, I like a challenge. I like a learning experience. 
you uh, haven't given off that vibe at <laughs> so i you know um i thought well i i think maybe i should i could start my own studio and and sort of take some of the lessons that i'd learned about making games and come home to australia um and i'd, I'd seen like this the 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 game development scene here, especially in Melbourne, sort Explode. of, yeah, coming up, um, it's sort of, uh, uh, for those who don't know, the games industry in Australia really kind of bent down during the global financial crisis. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the economy was not going well around the world, but the Australian dollar was also really high. So we weren't getting work from overseas. So a lot of the big studios closed down and, what really rekindled the flame was a combination of casual games and mobile games. Um, and so um, a bunch of new studios came up from that. And some of them were from young first-time developers. Some yep. of them were from veterans of those other companies that didn't go overseas, but stayed in Australia and, and formed new companies. And that's really what's led to the, to the landscape now. And, um, Which is thriving. Yeah. yeah well we're doing okay yeah I wouldn't, I, I don't as, know. as someone as someone <laughs> who's on the outside i guess who's not part of the actual development scene i look at look at the the qual like the number of really high caliber and there's probably some that i'm missing as well yeah um but really high caliber titles that are making it not just here within our local scene but are actually being recognized worldwide um and yours is among you know, one of those yeah but there's there's plenty of really excellent games coming out of here and i feel like if we're looking at this purely mathematically and ratios wise, I feel like we're shooting well above what we, uh, what we should be. Yeah. And so and, I, I think, and I'm, I think we're doing I'm, a great job. I'm really proud of that. I, I feel like that's actually part of what makes Australia, Australia, you know, we are a little bit the underdogs and we do have to punch above our weight. Um, and, and I think as a games industry, as the games industry, we, we do do that. Um, so yeah, I wanted to, to come back to Australia, um, new city for me, Melbourne. Um, and How was that adjustment? I might add. Oh, being was, South Australia and then obviously spending a bit of time overseas. Yeah, now, well, now a lot, a lot of time overseas. Yeah. How long was that in the end? Must be closer I mean, the to a decade. Majority of my yeah adult life has yeah. been has been in other countries. Um, but yeah, like it was it was interesting. Like Melbourne is sort of like you know very very similar to Adelaide, um, being an Australian city, but just a bit bigger in scale, yeah. a bit a bit you know more my size. And um, I guess one of the, th the interesting things about mountains was, and I, I didn't realize this at the time, but most indie game companies are formed out of friends or people that have worked together before. Yep. But I decided that I was going to uh, be a bit of a Nick Fury and pull together all these disparate <laughs> people and gather my Avengers together. And then... So that was very much the idea. I'd like you. I'm going to see if I yeah, can bring you in. Yeah, Well, and it was a discovery process. It yeah. wasn't all at once. Um, but... Um, to yeah. find people who would be a good fit for what yeah. you're trying to form. Yeah. And I, I knew that um, the first person I wanted was a producer. So the first, my first hire was Kamina. Uh, Kamina Vincent, my producer. Yep. And then um, um, a fr through a friend, I'd met Sam Crisp. Our, our programmer who just was a really fascinating person um and he wasn't necessarily a very experienced programmer but i just wanted to work with sam and so we complimented sam with um with a, a lead programmer and we ended up going offshore for that and we found uh, tony cocaluzzi uh in canada and so tony came over um and then that was our 
initial mountains crew of four people. So then how did that idea of Florence begin to form? Did you Is this an idea that you'd had in your head for a while and you just no, needed to realize it? No, or not it- at all. Um, I mean, that's kind of how Monument Valley works. Like yep. I, I'd been thinking about how to make a game about architecture for a long time. And then I just figured it out one day. With Florence, it was very much the opposite process where I had an idea for like what our first game at Mountains could be. And it was, um, again based around touchscreens and it was um, trying to make 3D. The initial idea was actually around 3D manipulation. Like what can we do with manipulating 3D objects on a touchscreen? Yeah, okay. Turns out it's quite hard, which, yeah. is, why, which is why not many games do it. Um, but um, we, we did some stuff around 3D jigsaw puzzles and I thought that was interesting. Um, and when I thought about what we could use that 3D jigsaw puzzles for, the idea came around to tell the story of uh, two people in a relationship and those puzzles could be metaphors for all the ups and downs that they go through. So when all the pieces are coming together, it could feel like things are coming together, right? Yeah. When things are falling apart, the pieces are falling apart. What, what does it mean if there's a piece missing? What does it mean if the pieces don't quite fit? You know, it felt like, there's a lot of metaphorical yeah, things you, that we could you explore. You can see it in the gameplay. So, for example, and I just before um, coming down today, I, I messed around with the game a bit again. I just picked out some of the chapters just to kind of <laughs> jog a few memories. And, and like I'm thinking about the, the argument, mm-hmm. for example. And um, at that particular stage, you're forming those little, the little red sentence blocks, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and on one side, they're like, and I'm trying to avoid spoilers because it's a very story-focused story thing here. But so we're not um, doing spoilers this episode. I, I figure I'll try. We might try to avoid it. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe a few people yeah. go out and pick the game up. It's a 45-minute so, game. You should you should just play it and, and then come well back. Well worth listen. it. But uh, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe do that. Just pause this, play the game, come back and listen in. But um, like the conversation on one half is being slapped together really, really quickly. So mm-hmm. instantly I see that and I think about, okay, there's aggression here. There's, mm. there's heat. There's, and you could be overwhelmed by that because maybe you're putting those pieces on your side together mm-hmm. very slowly. And so, and, and it's reflected in the characters. Yeah. One starts towering over the other. Yeah. And it, like it was, it was really interesting to see how the gameplay fit into that. There was another, that other sequence where you've got to put together um, the couple kind of sleep, uh, they're sleeping in bed, but they're back to back. They're facing mm. away from each other. And I think it was, the sequence was called drifting apart or drifting that particular, I can't remember the exact chapter name. Um, but those pieces are drifting away. Mm. Like as you're trying to assemble it, the puzzle piece, uh, puzzles are slowly pulling themselves apart. It was, it was really interesting to see how those gameplay aspects were intermingling so well with the story that you were trying to tell at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you asked like, you know, how did the idea came up about? And it's, it's all of this came like, we had to constantly figure it, figure these things out. Like, it wasn't like one day I'm like, oh, let's make a game about relationships and let's tell it through puzzles and mini games. Um, it was, um, it was, it was very much like, oh no, <laughs> this prototype's not working. What else can we do with it? Yeah, oh, okay. okay, let's do this. Ugh, most of that didn't work but this one bit does work can we base a whole game around that you know how can we expand the upon answer clearly that? was yes in the end <laughs> it was but it, it wasn't it wasn't clearly a yes yeah you know right until the end um you know there was 
a lot of doubt about whether this whole thing would work. Um, you can imagine, like, without music and without sound effects and without final art. Yeah. Um, like, imagine the game without final art, you know, where it's just, it's just sketches that I've scanned in and, like... It's just crappily cut out. <laughs> and this is meant pieces. to do this here. And yeah, this is meant to and it's meant here. to feel yeah. really emotional, you know? Like but when you're looking at these disparate pieces. Yeah. yeah, I understand. Like, imagine the music's really soaring or it's really sad. Like, how, and, oh, and, you know, what we would, we would play test as we did with Monument Valley. And we would just hand an iPad to someone and say, like, hey, could you play our game? We wouldn't tell them anything else. And they would, they would play it. And sometimes they would really emote, they'd react. And you could tell when they were getting frustrated or when they didn't know what was happening. And other times they would just be totally blank and you wouldn't be able to tell. But then at the end they would say, that was really lovely. And then you're like, okay, was it lovely? Because you're just, you're just saying that as a friend? Or... Yeah, you're being complimentary or... You... Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, was, it was hard to tell. And I think it wasn't until maybe PAX Australia uh, in 2017. So this would have been maybe four months five months before just say at the end of the day you're on the cusp of release yeah but we had we brought a seven level demo to pack so it was was like not it wasn't quite the first seven levels of the game but it was it was some of the first levels um and uh it ended with the couple moving in together so we didn't even get to the sad stuff yet um but the we had full music for that or like um it was like the MIDI level music. Like it hadn't been recorded yeah. yet, but it was, yeah. Enough for people to sit music. back and understand what. Yeah. And I think the reaction that came out of PAX, that was really encouraging. That's what made us feel, okay, it's going to be okay. Yeah. We're on the you right know. track here. Yeah. We're going to, we're we going to be able to ship or whatever, it. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then we had to, we, we finished the game and released it on Valentine's day of 2018 last year. And it went it went well. Pretty well. It went pretty well. I mean, obviously, it it hasn't become the phenomenon that Monument Valley did, but, like, I wasn't expecting yeah. that. Um, you know, my, my target was I want to make enough money and get enough renown that we can keep doing this, yeah. that, that we can keep making games. Um, and... Um, and that's get that, by and that make what happened. you believe in yeah yeah like like it's it's an amazing opportunity to be able to have the freedom to to make whatever game you want within a scope right? yeah and that's essentially i've essentially had that chance twice which is incredible like some people never get that chance um but um you know and i want i want to pass that opportunity on to other people like i want the other people in my team to, to, to work on projects where we have that creative freedom. And I want them to eventually have, to be able to become the, the kind of designer that I am, where I, where I do get to make really bold choices and, and get to go into unproven territory and say like, what if, what if we made a game like this? Um, Florence was one of those ones for me when, when it released, it, it took a little while before it popped up on my radar, probably mm. only a couple of weeks, I'd say. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're starting to hear little murmurings, whether it's on Twitter or maybe other content creators that you hear bits and pieces from we spoke about beforehand we both listened to a lot of podcasts so i was mm. starting to hear the name pop up in podcasts and all those sorts of things and i was i'd hear people say oh look it's about 45 minutes long just, just almost what we said before stop <laughs> and play it so please stop and play it if you haven't already um and i kept i kept hearing that 45 minute duration like great i'll keep i'll lock this in the vault and i'll get to it mm. soon and this is going to link in with something that I really need to thank you for. But um, 
my whole attitude, like big picture, just outside of games, I'm kind of work myself into the ground and maybe pop up, catch a breath later on if need be. And what um, was taking far too long to penetrate my dense skull was the fact that uh, it was kind of affecting me and my, my family, my wife, and at that point that the game came out, to be child. Um, and we, I, I sat back and I finally played the game. It didn't happen until about, I'm going to say November of last year. So it took, it took a fair while of people mm. saying, play it, play it, play it, before I finally sat down and actually played the game. And uh, yeah, well, I suppose we're still trying to actively avoid spoilers here, I guess. Play it. Um, spoilers coming up. But there's uh, seeing the, the relationship between the two start to degrade there and looking at the reasons why all of a sudden like the penny finally dropped for me i actually credit you and the team for getting me out of a many many year long sort of rut that i got myself in i was kind of i was doing a lot of damage to the relationship not you know not in the the traditional sense that we hear about thankfully um but just because i was burying myself in my work or whatever it is be it teaching or games media or both or and trying to start new projects and work on new things and busy, busy, busy that I kind of, by extension, was neglecting the people who were most important to me and seeing like the sequences there when, you know, drifting apart and all those sorts of things, that was, that was a penny drop moment. I sat there and I, I played that and I, I credit where a lot of things are with my wife now and my son who was only about, would be about two months old by the time that I finally played that. I hadn't been what I needed to be and it was playing that game that kind of prompted me to wake up a little bit and I really owe that to you and the team for what you did in that in in the game there um wow yeah I, it's, <laughs> so so I, I did say I had to I had to thank you for something that that's kind of it but I do you hear many stories from people who've played the game about how I mean I before I played it myself I, I hear people talk about how affecting it is and or can be um, and do you hear many, or did you hear many stories? Do you still hear stories from people who've played it and how it has or hasn't affected them? Uh, well, first of all, um, you know, everything you said, um, I mean, thanks for sharing that story, but I feel like it's all on you, you know, like I, I feel like we all go through life and sometimes it just takes the right bit of media or the right story to get us to realize what we have and and put us on the right track and um and i think that's why we tell stories you know uh but i think um you know credit to you for 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 seeing that and and making a change so well that was great. that was kind of thing like i recognized it was a problem i recognized <laughs> it by and large i was the i was the problem here because i i just i couldn't let go and i'm, mm. I'm still a workaholic and i mean we're recording mm. this on a sunday right now when my <laughs> my wife and son are at home together like there, there's still those aspects still exist and i in some ways the both of us agree that we wouldn't want to change that too much because then it just mm. fundamentally breaks down the way I might be mm. but being able to harness it and actually being able to still focus on what is most important which is the family the child all those sorts of things is, yeah. um, that's what came out of that whole thing it was something like the penny just wasn't dropping like how to make that change right. playing the game prompted that change yeah uh, we, we, we do hear stories like people have written in um, many really lovely tweets and emails um, and in-person accounts, um, which is very gratifying and touching. And um, it 
you know, it helps us um, remember why we do this. And it helps us remember that games are an art form and in, in so much as they can really affect people. And um, um, did yeah. you see that with those four or five months that we're talking back here at that PAX in 2017, were you, did you see at that point after people were playing it, did you <laughs> see that there might have been this potential there or you still thought it was a way off? Or? Um, I, w- I would say that not specifically PAX. I, I, think, I think what was really lovely about PAX was that prob- I, I would guess that out of the people that came and played it, about half of them were men. Yeah, okay. You know, and 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 they would and they would come up and tell us that it made them cry or almost made them cry and um I that was that was really moving because I I think that you know men not being able to open up about their feelings is a big problem with yeah. the world today. Um uh but I think uh even outside of the Pax experience we had sent the game to some friends um mostly other game developers for feedback yeah and um you know one of the earliest ones was actually neil renison who you, who oh, yeah, you we interviewed last episode so yeah. go and check it out and Sorry, um, plug. <laughs> yeah i mean neil actually played one of the a very very early version of the game like it you wouldn't recognize it it was totally different art totally different levels um and it was, it was very bad but he it turns out and he didn't he didn't know what he was coming into play. I'm like, yeah. hey, Neil, could just you just give try us a this thing? Turns out he was playing on his wedding anniversary. Oh, okay. Right? And um, so he came away saying, like, you know, aside from the quality of the demo, I'm playing this on a very like sensitive day to me. So all yeah. these feelings are coming up. And so like even though you don't you haven't figured it out yet, I there's something here. Yeah, there's a because, nugget of something here to work with. Yeah, and I think it's just that relationships, you know, f- partnerships form such a big part of our lives. Why wouldn't we make games about yeah. them, right? They, they're they hugely moving. So many movies and books and songs are about that. Um, and it's almost just a bit of a blind spot for games. There are games that do tackle it, yeah. and they're just not p- usually part of the mainstream. So, yeah. you know, here's us um, and me with a bit of, you know attention from Monument Valley and and a bit of a platform some you know a, a publishing deal with Annapurna we we were using this to like hey let's let's try and and tackle this um, spot in games that is doesn't have a lot of existing material to show us the way yeah. so so Neil's um, play experience that was that was one early indicator but there were a couple of, of other ones from you know some other designer friends and, and game development friends where we realized that they were connecting the dots with their with their own relationships or their past relationships. Like they would reflect on breakups that they'd had. Yeah. Okay. Or um, you know, in your case, like they'd reflect on their current relationships, and that was just um, obviously really touching that they were that they were you know sharing connecting that. In that way, yeah. yeah. But it, I think that speaks to why the game works. Right. The game works not because of everything that's in it, but because of what it does to people. It 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 brings up memories it's it's kind of nostalgic in that way it's like for example moving in it's designed to be hopefully abstract enough that it will remind a whole bunch of people about their moving in experience even if the pits the bits of furniture were exactly what they had you know and moving in specifically is about krish 
who's this like scruffy musician within from an Indian family moving in with uh, Florence, who's from a Chinese background. Yeah. And there are little cultural cues in there. And um, again, one of the things that we're that I'm proudest of is that we put those cultural cues in as as like that's what makes those characters them it, it fleshes them out makes them real people like we all have backgrounds but i i don't think it excluded people that weren't from those backgrounds like if you are african-american or if you're white um or jewish I there's don't, still enough touchstones in yeah, there to connect. I, I, yeah i think you know some things are universal right you, you know you see there are, there are details about food or language that are particular to florence and you just go oh okay i get it because you know my grandma is also like yeah. that or my mother is also like that you know that's so there's some universality there and I'm, I'm not sure if i'm still answering the question no no you no, no do you, i don't know you are because <laughs> i mean not every connection that people have to make needs to be as profound as oh my god it saved my relationship or mm. you know it makes me reflect on this there can be those smaller ones and from the idea of even moving into a new home people can connect with that people once i did that myself only two months ago and then frustration there is around mm. moving uh, like moving your whole house moving your whole life into a new place yeah. um is really frustrating for everyone involved um <laughs> and let alone trying to do that when you've uh, got a what have we been then six and a half seven month old son so mm. the wife's busy with him and you largely have to do it on your own and <laughs> well that's where, a, where do you need this oh right and well, cutting things that, are, like, that sounds that's like life. a great game yeah you know like i and in fact um some of my friends um are making a game called Unpacking, yep. uh, which is very much about that that whole experience. They're based in Brisbane, um, and we've got the guys doing Moving Out as well. Um, yeah, yeah, so there's exactly. The concepts being okay. You yeah. might have prompted something here. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's a larger movement going yeah. on in the indie sphere. Where, well, okay, I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, I went to China um, at the end of last year. Uh, and I attended a an expo called uh, We Play. Yep. And um, I so I played a bunch of indie games that had been developed in China and and Hong Kong and Taiwan and and um, it was fascinating because obviously they also have access to Unity and Unreal and and they watch GDC talks so they have the same expertise to, yeah, okay. to be able to make games as solos or as small teams. Um, what's different though is that a lot of them didn't grow up with the kind of games that we did. Yeah. Right. So like um, in the nineties when I was playing super Nintendo and doom and secret um, of matter and everything. Yeah. All those. Yeah. And so, so, um, they, they video games were just not wide, widespread in the nineties. So for a lot of, uh, Chinese people, their entry into games was actually online games and mobile games. Um, and what's really interesting is the, the indie games that, that they're making now are largely, about society and about family and about just what it is to be human and yeah. what it is to be Chinese. And, and it's just, it's just fascinating to me that, that I, I think they've largely skipped over a lot of the indie stage that we went through, like basically making our own Mario's Re yeah, recreating making our, own, our yeah, childhood. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like, uh, obviously, uh, indie games around the world and also AAA games, are increasingly looking more inwards to say like um 
you know, how, how can we use games to expose the world around us? The, the, you know, relationships, families, society, politics, um, you know, Papers, Please is like one of the games it's that I, great I pretty much bring up in every talk that I do because I think it's a perfect example of what games can do without divorcing from the the ancestry of games. So it has gameplay, but it's it the gameplay is totally about you know being a being a cop basically, yeah. and and the, the decisions you have to make, and then how those decisions are influenced by. Uh, you know the state and the world around and you. influence everything afterwards too. Yeah, yeah. And do I let, do I let this and person care of your family? Because, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think it's I think Florence is part of a larger movement. You know, to to make different types of games. Yeah, and I think it's great to see, and hopefully it continues. And I'm sure you probably know a few really great examples that are on the way that might fit that sort of mold. And please make sure you keep sharing them with <laughs> with the world, but. Uh, Florence itself was, we spoke about before, really quite acclaimed by a lot of people uh, to the point where at the Game Awards it was recognised, um, how long is it, what are we now, it's middle of the year, so about six, <laughs> about six seven months ago now. Yeah. Um, how, would, how did that sit with you? Because that was um, yeah, a fairly uh, <laughs> prestigious sort of award to have received. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I, I don't... Um, and we're not in there for the... Uh, for the awards and exactly all sorts of things, exactly I, yeah um one of the things that i learned on monument valley is that when you're up for an award you kind of end up being up for all the awards right there's like okay. you know there's oh, like yeah, there's, so there's like 10 to 20 big awards and um they they do tend to nominate a lot of the same games like obviously god of war yeah spider-man yeah so that, yeah. you know every award ceremony that we ended up going to the same awards in the indie category you'd have like celeste and donut county um so what i learned about awards is you know you you celebrate um the first couple because it means that this it brings recognition to the studio we can keep doing what we do but you, and you don't let it get to your head yeah I... <laughs> yeah so um, i mean yeah the games awards Obviously, that's a huge audience and, and a big stage, and um, we were really, really honoured by that. Um, and um, um, but you know, it means as much to us as the Game Developers Choice Awards, which was you know voted on by other game developers, yeah. or the Apple Design Award, which is you know from Apple, which which we, we really respect. Um, but it's at, at the end of the day, I think it's it's always the the, the reception from the players that means most. Um, to me yeah I mean for me like I said I'd only played the game about a month beforehand at that point so still things were still kind of rattling around in my head off the back of that but the first thought not this is one of those things that the game awards goes up on uh, airs on I think it's a Friday Mm. kind of in the middle of the day our time Mm. Um, it's a school day I'm meant to be teaching (laughs) I thankfully had some uh, year sevens at the time and we I basically pushed them all week to work (laughs) especially hard uh, so that we might be able to graft out a little bit of time for it uh, to watch some for those that were that way that way inclined and interested mm. um and so we did we we, uh, we popped it up on the screen then watching the awards and we, uh, when it got revealed that you guys had actually won went, that's an aussie game and, <laughs> and, and, and oh really and uh, yeah these are 13 year old kids that don't necessarily have the the depth of knowledge about the industry in general yeah um yeah. 
at that particular point and there was just I mentioned oh it's an Aussie developed game and there was this really and the, I think a few people kind of got really excited and I think maybe a few eyes even opened to that particular point like Aussie game and this links back to what we were talking about before about that Australian yeah. representation at the at the top level yeah um, yeah well you know um, I think it opened a few eyes and I'm sure it did for a few, fair few others too yeah seeing the game recognised at that massive very public facing event yeah um you know, uh, Fruit Ninja was made in Australia. Um, uh, my friend Josh, who I met at PAX, like when he was, I think, 16 or 17, he now works on Call of Duty here in Melbourne. Um, the Gardens Between is a beautiful game that um, was made by our friends. At Fox, Fox Legends. Legends. Yep. Yeah, and um, Josh from that team has now joined Mountains. And, and um, that won an Apple Design Award, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um um, yeah, we got Team Cherry with Hollow Knight and all yeah, those sorts exactly. of things. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, I you know Ari from Team Cherry. I was friends with him back in Adelaide. Um, you know, back back when I was working on Hacky Cat. Yeah, okay. you know, he was working on animated shorts, and we would just hang out and draw together. And you know, now he is like a hugely successful franchise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's booming that one at the moment. So yeah. it's great. It's great to hear in their case. Yeah. Um. So. I think that probably wraps up the the actual the games itself and the the accomplishments along the way there. So we'll kind of start getting a little bit more focused on you again. Who in the industry inspires you? Who's who's it been that's really? Is there someone or multiple people there that really inspire you in the way you approach the development of games? Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, early on in my career, my my inspirations were mostly from music and movies and art. Yep. Um, and but these days, the people that I look up to the most are the people in my community who work hard to improve the community. Yep. And and they either by setting a good example or working really hard to put on events or just um, being good leaders of their of their teams. Um, you know, and you know, speaking out about crunch, speaking up about diversity. Um, people like uh, Lauren Clinic from, yeah, from Looney yep. Consulting. Um, Tony Reed has been like a, a mentor to, to us, and uh, you know we couldn't have shipped Florence without his guidance. Yep. Um, uh, I think of Rami Ismail, who's like yes. a champion of, of indie games Evolving. everywhere. Um, yeah, um, those are some examples. No, no they're, and they're, <laughs> they're all really great examples that are doing some really great things for the industry, and not necessarily focused on the de- act of developing a game but the mm. bigger picture sort of stuff which is all is all just as important as the day-to-day process of creating the game yeah especially you know and you discussed before crunch like that's a big topic right now um and talking about the state with which people are making games is just as important if not far more so than the actual games themselves mm. um because without that that good culture without that good atmosphere and I think we we get lesser products as a result. So yeah, I mean that was one of the interesting things about starting a company in 2016 was it it felt like it would have been irresponsible to not write down a promise that you know we're going to actively work against crunch. Yeah. So it's in our employee handbook that that everybody reads when they join, and there are there are specific policies in there that are really meant to discourage people from from overworking and burning out. And, you know, we don't always get it right. Um, but uh, I think 
as a culture, you know, the, the idea is that we really encourage people to um, not get uh, lost in their jobs, lost yeah. in their work. Take the time to look after yourself and those around you. Something yeah. that I needed to learn a while back as we've established. Well, you know, it's, I think it's something that it's not ever solved. Yeah. You don't just like figure it no, out. It's not like, a cure oh, okay. Yeah. I have achieved work-life balance. It is a, it's a constant battle. And, and, um, I think that's one of the, well, cause our day to day is never the same day in day out. It's yeah, always changing. And there's always challenges. And, and, you know, everyone, a lot of these, a lot of us are passionate about what we work about our work. And, and, um, you know, another thing about the people that I admire now are there are people that admit when they've, when they failed, they admit yep. it to themselves. They admit it to their, their family and their coworkers. And they say like, I need a break. You know, I like being able to say I need a day off, um, for mental health is something that I do at my company and, yep. and my, um, employees know that they, can do um and um yeah i'm you know i'm as proud about that as i am about you the know the titles you've actually doing. made yeah, yeah. and that no, i think that's fantastic mm. uh so what have some, been some of the more valuable lessons you've learned along the way have there been any has there been something that someone said to you that's really resonated or i think you, i think you follow where i'm going with that yeah. is there anything that's really clicked and stuck with you from the um, games development journey so far I am there's you know my my head is just filled with like little nuggets of wisdom that I picked up yeah here and there I think the one that I one of the ones that I keep coming back to is a quote from Scott Benson who um, worked on Night in the Woods and he wrote a tweet this is many years ago and it, it says make art make rent help others do the same and I love that. I love how simple it is and how generous and humble it is. And I think it's, um, it helps, helps keep me grounded. Yeah. You know, that like, if I can make art and, and make enough art to pay rent, then um, surplus energy should go into, you know, or not even surplus energy. I should include in that helping others do the same um, and I, I, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I try to keep in mind, like I've, I've never felt more of a sense of community than I do here in Melbourne and, and in the Melbourne games community. And I, I always try to make time to, um, yeah, work with others, whether that's like answering questions from students. Yeah. seems to be a common high school student, uh, assignment i don't yeah, know okay. if it's you, you setting them but um well, I'm, in, I'm in maths probably not me but maybe right. some of those different it or game uh yeah games yeah. Class or whatever yeah. yeah possibly or you know like take feeling the same ones on twitter over and over or something like that um or email yeah yeah some <laughs> of them are the same but you know you you uh, you know it does half an hour of my time it's not a big deal yeah um you know or just taking people to lunch like often i get more out of these exchanges than i think they do you know yeah. I, I love hearing about the challenges that um people are going through right now and and um yeah anything that i can do to share my experiences or things that i or sometimes just putting people in contact you know some at gdc i feel like that's most of what i do is it's just like the network oh you're working on this have you met this person? Let me let me introduce you. He you know? grabbed them by the hand and yeah. dragged them over. He yeah. speak to. Or or often it's like we're we're all at GDC. I'm just yeah. like on Twitter, like, hey, do you have an hour tomorrow? You should meet this person. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And as a as a 
15 plus year veteran that's i think a big function that i can well i mean it's one of those things within the games business like rising tide lifts all boats Hmm. so if if we're able to help each other then that'll help elevate the uh, the the medium the platform itself so Hmm. i think i think that's all great as well Hmm. any particular highlights and memories that you've that you really treasured along from, from along the way been, been the release of GameX or, yeah. or whatever um, may happen to be? Um, Seeing the pieces come together with Florence and realise, hang on, we actually we have something here, <laughs> those sorts of things? Um, I mean, one thing comes to mind. This is, this is a really weird example, but um, we were working hard on a build of Monument Valley and... Um, we did crunch a little bit on Monument Valley, not a, not a lot, but there were so there were a couple of late nights, and it was usually about trying to get a build done. Yeah, and um, and I remember like uh, you know some of the team were busy testing builds or making builds, and me as the designer or the level designer, I didn't have a ton of stuff to do, so I would go around and collect people's cereal bowls and cups and just take them to the kitchen um, to to put in the dishwasher. Um, uh, and to me, that was, that, that felt really gratifying that, yeah. that, um, my job at that time was just to help clean up, you know, but it's the small things. It's the small, yeah. Like even, even as, um, a game designer or as a studio head, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's taking out the trash. Sometimes it's about like going on a grocery run. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. making the life easier for someone else you yeah, may not be able to yeah. directly influence their their job themselves but helping them in some other small capacity yeah yeah like we've um we've we've just set up a system at mountains where um every week two different people will go do the grocery run to pick up cereal and muesli yeah, bars okay. and fruit and um uh, i think that's been a great idea it's like it gives a chance for two people to just go do a little Get a little chore that that helps support the whole team um yeah. yeah, and there'd be benefits to that opportunity just to get out as well and take a bit yeah. of a breath and yeah. shake up the system somewhat. Yeah. Maybe in a small way, but to yeah. just shake up their day-to-day. Which sounds great. Yeah. I, I think, like, uh, another standout moment to me is probably, like, the Florence launch party. Yep. Um, it's nice to have a launch party. It's it's nice when you're an indie team and, you know, you have a small budget, but you're like, eh, we can put budget to, you know pay for some drinks and and um have some balloons um let the hair down a little bit yeah um yeah that was good um i think i think that's those those are what stand out no that's fair moments. um i guess the last of those uh, the, those big ones there uh any particular challenges that you've really had to overcome or what has I mean, been that biggest challenge yeah. or hurdle you've had to try and overcome i mean to be honest the the biggest challenge for me has always been working with people. Yep. Um, I, I like to think of myself as being a very product oriented person. Like I'm very good at, Oh, I, I imagine how this thing could be. Yeah. And I know how we could make it. Um, what's more challenging to me is like, um, understanding when people have a different point of view or come from a different background and maybe see, see a different vision for the game or, um, or just approach a problem in a different way and negotiating that without hurting feelings. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um, I think I've gotten better at it, 
Um, but it's it's still a challenge. Um, I mean, and- I think any of those sort of things we're involving interacting with others, it's the sort of thing. It's always a work in progress. We're always learning. And when yeah. someone new comes into the fold, that's a new person to have to try and learn the ins and outs of. Mm. It's... Yep. I think that's just the part of part of life, really. So yeah, um, I think it's a perfectly reasonable challenge to have to face because it's one that I think we all have to face in different capacities. Right, but I I think um, what it means to be a, a studio head is that um, I need to hold myself to a high standard. Yep. of that you know, and and I I think that's what's pushed me to to improve and and to like work on work on some of my bad habits. Um, is is that um i really do care about my team like they're the most important thing to me and so um i'm always trying to figure out how can i support them better how can i be a better better leader better co-worker yep. mm. uh so without spilling the beans in any way what do you see the future holding from here well um and again i understand that maybe there's ideas for things <laughs> going that you're not willing nor able to speak about those just yet and that's Totally normal, and I understand. But yeah, uh, well, the the mountains team has grown. Yep. Um, so Florence was made with four people, and we are ten people now. Um, number eleven is joining in a couple of weeks. Great. So we've we've grown, and we're working on uh, on um, two projects yep. right now. And uh, I can't really say much about no, no, them. No, completely understood. But uh, they're both really exciting, and um, and that's what makes work easy because um the team is really excited about them and they're really passionate and uh i i basically get to you know allow them to (laughs) to um to do great work yeah yeah it's incredible seeing what they've come up with and i'm so proud of them um so yeah that's what's that's what's happening now you know this last question we were discussing it beforehand Mm. if there was any game throughout the entirety of this, well, the life of this little business uh, that you wish you could be credited for, yeah. what would it be? Uh, unfortunately, I have a bit of a non-answer, but it's the truth. The truth is I don't I don't really think about that question because... Uh, or is it the sort of thing where it's like, oh, geez, I wish I came up with that. You know, do you know yeah, what I mean? No, you don't have that at all? No, because to me, the joy is the making of it. So I... Like when when you see an end product, you know, um, it, I'm glad that that end product exists, but it it has like almost nothing to do with how it was made. Yeah. Okay. So you know, like I wouldn't give up the experiences of having made the things that I've made for anything. And credit is such a weird thing. Like, well, yeah, like, I mean, it doesn't mean much anyway. But yeah, I mean, like I love. Um, That's an external gratification sort of thing. You know, I love way. everything. For example. Um, the game, everything. Yeah. I think it's a masterpiece, but I don't wish that I had credit on it. You know, yeah. like I, I'm, I'm glad that someone else made it, and I, and I, I probably wouldn't have made the same decisions. I would have, I would have made other things. And one of the weird things that I've experienced is that there are some games that are really good, but they don't click for me because they're too close to what I would have done. Oh yeah, okay. Right, like Journey, for example. Yep. Journey is like almost universally loved, but. And and I do think it's a it's a fantastic and very important game, but it's too close to my own sensibilities and yeah, my okay. own aesthetic. So when I played it, it I was just like, oh okay. You can't cool. get past that barrier. Yeah, a little bit. I, I I suppose I see everything as an author and as a creator now. And and so like the games that really grab me now are games that surprise me. Yep. Um, um, like. 
Kingdom. Do you, you know Kingdom? Yeah. That yeah. series of games. Like, I, I love Kingdom because... A Kingdom 2 Crowns and all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Kingdom New Lands is the one that, that I first played. And that really grabbed me because I didn't understand where they were coming from, from a design sensibility and and sort of how the, the, the meta loops were working. And it was just such an interesting journey exploring that. And that that's sort of what the experience is about. Like they don't really explain what the game is and you, you kind of figure it out. Yep. And um, yeah, I loved, I loved that. Any game that can surprise me is really engaging. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, so Ken, if anyone wants to uh, check in with what you're up to, follow you, interact with you in any sort of way, where would they be best to go? Yeah, so, and that uh, includes also where would they be able to get in contact with mountains? Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, Twitter is probably um, the the best way to get in contact with me. I'm. It at, works. Trust me. This yeah. is, that's how we made this happen. Uh, I'm at Ken Wong Art, and um, there's the company is uh, that I that I founded and work for is uh, at Mountains Games, um, and you can also go to mountains dot. Uh, God, what is that website? Mountains dot studio. Um, and uh, and that's got our, our email address if, if you prefer that. Sounds great to me. Ken, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Thanks, Paul. And as always, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Ken's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.